Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast. Today's Thursday, February 11th, 2021. Today, I'm joined again by Dr. Tracy Agnesi to talk about newborns. Monday, Tracy and I discuss newborn care from the time of birth until going home. And today, we're going to be discussing the rough and tumble first few months. Next week, on Monday, I'm joined by Dr. Miriam Pinellas to discuss acupuncture and herbal medicine. And then next week on Thursday will be our first high-risk birth stories podcast. And I'll be joined by Dina Blanchard, who is a pediatrician in New York City. Dina will be sharing her own story of postpartum anxiety and making change. It should be a great start to the new podcast. Remember to go onto your podcast platform today and subscribe to the High Risk Birth Stories podcast as well, so you can be sure to get both podcasts moving forward. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and a great weekend. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. In, let's say, that first you know week or half week of life, so you know between birth, going home from the hospital, and that first visit, what do you find are the most common things parents are worried about that you're reassuring them mm-hmm. like this is normal that's mm-hmm. normal that's normal because that must happen all the time mm-hmm. I mean, we're you know we're parents we're right, we worry about everything so what, what are the top things that you yeah. that you found again in just those very few first days of life yeah sure so there's a lot uh yeah i could probably go on and on so stop me <laughs> if i say too many but um one would be hiccups right and you know the babies have hiccups in the mom's belly as well um but and they have hiccups after and parents get really concerned about it i always like to tell them we don't know exactly why you know irritation of the diaphragm immature neurological axis but it bothers the parents more than the baby you know and it, it's fine it's nothing to be concerned about hiccups sneezing is a really common one too so really? yeah babies sneeze a lot and they actually are like congested in their nose and those are two really common things that doesn't doesn't alarm me but always alarms new parents there's like bubbles coming out of the nose Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. they always think oh does the baby have a cold but their nasal passages are really narrow they're really thin they're small and they also are clogged with like debris from you know birth and delivery and everything and sneezing is a good normal healthy reflex of you to try to get that out so it's normal that they sneeze you know um you don't have to do anything about it i usually tell them you know is same with congestion but if the baby if the congestion is making the baby have a hard time breathing or feeding then you could do a little saline you know over-the-counter saline drops in the nose, you know, use one of those fancy snot suckers and suck that snot out. Um, and, a fancy snot sucker. Oh, yes. A fancy one. Really? Yeah. <laughs> the one, <laughs> there's there's the bulb syringes that the, you know, that they have in the nursery, but those are really hard to use and not much usually comes out of them. So the fancy snot suckers are the ones that you actually put your mouth on. Um, you're looking at me like you might not have used these. They're actually really. No, most definitely not. Are, no, most most parents are grossed out by them. Some are not. I find it so rewarding to to yeah. get that snot out. But so you put your mouth on it and you suck in. It's, it's connected to like a straw or like a long tube. And the other part of that tube looks like the traditional little bulb syringe right. that goes inside. You're just goes siphoning in the, the you, snot out of your yeah, kid's nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's like, filters, that's, like, that's, like mo- that's like mother bird yeah. chewing their kids. <laughs> no, we we definitely had our kids in, in primitive times where Before that was not done. No? Yeah, no, you missed wow, out. That's, <laughs> That's yeah, impressive. it's rewarding to get that snot out. There's nothing similar for that for constipation. Oh, that oh. yeah. Well, they, they they do make a product, but you don't have to suck yeah. it out. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. All right, fine. Yeah. I'm, so I'm, are, I'm yeah. learning a ton yeah, here. By yeah. the way, this Fancy is great. Suckers. Yeah. All so right. congestion, sneezing, and then being really um, sleepy, difficult to wake up for feeds is really common in we're, the first. We're talking two weeks. about one of the parents or one of the kids. <laughs> yeah, parents are very sleepy too. <laughs> I just can't get woken up. I can't, I can't wake the mom up. She's so tired. That is. Super 
super common. Yeah. Um, and babies, the babies are usually really sleepy for about two weeks. And then about two weeks, they kind of wake up. So it's a common that you have to really fight to keep that baby awake for a feed in the beginning. You know, you can always, I, I find that people tend to make the baby too cozy too. So in the beginning, when you are struggling to, you know, keep your baby awake to feed, you want to unclothe your baby. You know, don't be feeding the baby all in like a blanket, cozy right. near you with the temperature up. You know, you might need to make it colder. You might need to have your baby naked. You might right. need to stimulate the hands and the feet. Right. Yeah. Do you do you believe in that adage about not waking a sleeping baby? Or is it yeah, how do you how do you, you know, address that? Not in the beginning. I don't think any pediatrician in the beginning, in those first two weeks, um, uh, would say, Don't wake a sleeping baby. So once babies get back to their birth weight at about two weeks is usually when we as you know, we say that it's okay not right. to wake your baby, but they are so sleepy in the beginning and they need to feed often because their tummies are just so small um, that they can get dehydrated and get sick fast if you don't wake them. So you do need to wake them so that there's no more than, you know, three hours from the beginning of one feed to the beginning of the next Okay. Feed. So so you're saying you would you would agree with that statement, but only after their two plus weeks. Exactly. Give or take. Exactly. So once they once they back up to their birth weight and they're otherwise growing fine and there's no concerns, then it's OK. Okay, Although I usually fair. do around that time tell the parents that, you know, babies still can't do very long stretches of sleep, you know, and so maybe they'll do one or two longer stretches and long is, you know, four hours. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like four hours, five hours. You know, if you do want that long stretch of sleep to be at nighttime, you might want to wake your baby up during the day so right. that you don't get that long stretch of sleep in the middle of the day. Yeah, you know? that that first time you get that four or five hour stretch, it's such a blessing. Magical. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's just like it's like a gift from God. Yeah. Because you've been up every two to three hours yeah. for two consecutive weeks and then suddenly you like you go to sleep at midnight and you wake up at five and, and it feels so and of good. course you always check like is my baby alive that's <laughs> yes. like the first thing that happens like oh my god who fed the baby and then it's it's an amazing thing when that yeah. happens yes it feels very good that is pretty <laughs> cool. okay so so those are some of the common things that are not a concern what would be the maybe not common but what would be the things that would be concerning that could happen in the first few weeks, things that you would be concerned about as a pediatrician. I'll kind of answer this with both common and not common, but spit up is common, right? It's babies spit up a lot. But if your baby is, you know, throwing up like what we like we call projectile, like where it's shooting right. out across They're the room. They're throwing it at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be something you would want to call your doctor about. That would be that would be concerning. Of course, if you ever see blood in the poop, um, I always say that poop can be many different colors like of a shade of a tree you know brown green orange but you you don't want to see red you don't want to see blood so if you see blood in the poop you would want to give a call to the doctor as well and you know unarousable you can't wake your baby to feed during those times you know those windows you know if the baby's not meeting those pee and those poo requirements in the beginning those would that would be reason to call as well right I was, i'm curious you know as as a pediatrician when you guys take call at night and, mm -hmm. and you get phone calls how do you determine like when you get cuz probably you know 95 out of 100 calls, everything's fine, you're good, go back to sleep, we'll see you in the office in three days, whatever it is. But periodically, there's a real issue. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine in, in pediatrics, this, and especially newborns, the stakes are much higher, right? So how do you determine whether to be like, like super cautious and you bring every baby in and you won't miss anything, but then you're freaking every parent, parent out? versus being sort of like chill and lay back, you're okay, everything's fine. I mean, like in different fields, it's different. Like, like in our field, it's generally not that complicated to figure out if something is is straightforward or something is a problem but I would imagine with babies, it's it's maybe harder. How do you do that? Uh, I guess you just know what right what questions to ask. You know, over time, for the most part, you know, it's probably most of the time it's probably fine. You know, and that, and even if it's not fine, most of the time it can wait until the morning to be seen in the office. Right. You know, so most of the people who are calling overnight, we wind up bringing into the office the next day, even if it's 
more to just reassure the parents because they right. might be really worried, you know. So most of those people are coming into the office the next day. You know, there's not a lot of things that we would be worried about in the middle of the night. I guess breathing would be one, right? right? So if there's respiratory distress, which sometimes we hear, you know, uh, we'll have, we'll say, put the phone to the baby's, right. you know, um, right. and so we can hear, you know, croup is something that right. you can easily, you know, know over the phone, you know, or if, you know, even like you, you can hear if there's respiratory distress. So oftentimes we'll do that. That would be, right. you know, one of the things. But babies actually, to another point of what uh, something that's common that freaks out newborn parents is babies have a very irregular breathing pattern. So, you know, in adults, when we're counting the respiratory rate, you count over 15 seconds and you multiply by four. You can't do that in a baby. You have to actually look and count over one full minute because they do this. They'll do like... <sighs> Right. So um, so oftentimes if the parents call about that and breathing, you know, then I'll tell them, unclothe the baby, take a look at the belly. You know, do you see the ribs sucking in? You know, do you see the belly like seesawing up right. and down? You know, and most of the times the answer is no. And and then then your baby's, you know, not in respiratory distress, most likely count. I'll tell them count over a full minute. You know, tell me what that number is over a full minute, not just for the 10 seconds, you know. Um, and with those things, you can get a, a sense that right. most most of the time the baby's okay. And also I think most or many pediatrician offices are open seven days a week in some capacity. Yes. For this exact reason. Exactly. If someone calls on Friday night, it's like, well, come in, you in know, the other, otherwise you have to go to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. and that's like, no one wants that. Right. Most of the times we can get through, um, you know, to the morning with get our guidance with right. whatever that is, look out for X, Y, Z, or, you know, do, you know, whatever, as far as maybe an over-the-counter medicine or something where um, we're not sending them to the emergency right. room. And nowadays really also when, when people do get sent to the emergency room, at least in most major cities, emergency rooms have a specific pediatric, you know, like mm -hmm. wing, like mm -hmm. a pediatric emergency room. So it's pediatricians. Mm -hmm. And I would say also most of the time people get sent to the emergency room, their babies end up being fine and going home. Absolutely. So it's just like we want to make sure mm -hmm. sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. Like if you go in the emergency room, it does not mean like, oh my God, you know, it's Definitely just like not. this is just something we're going to be up for three hours a night. It, it's going to be a rough night, but mm -hmm. that doesn't mean anything bad's going to necessarily happen. Yeah, most of that's why I like pediatrics because babies <laughs> tend to be fine <laughs> and kids tend to, even if they are sick, they tend to bounce back really quickly. Right. Have you been, especially obviously with the pandemic, but have you been using any like Zoom and video platforms now? Yeah. for? Because I imagine a lot of the stuff on well baby exams, you know, obviously you can't listen to their heart and lungs, but things that you said like rashes, you can see how does a kid look breathing, all those things. Is that something, you know, you could look at the poop, for mm -hmm. example. Yeah. Is, is that something you've been able to incorporate into your practice? Yeah, absolutely. We did. It was something that I was thinking about before the pandemic, but um, we didn't incorporate. And then as soon as the um, pandemic hit, we incorporated it and people love it. Um, it can be really good for a lot of things and we use it and we're still using it now, you know, yeah. for people don't want to come in or, you know, it's a hassle to kind of, you know, get out of the house with the baby, you know, we can definitely do a lot on that, you know, um, and even um, actually I, when in March and April, when things were really bad and people really, you know, were scared to to leave. I had a lot of new parents who had scales at home and we would even do right. some of those weight checks, which in general, I don't recommend because I find that right. having a scale at home, then the parents become like too obsessive about the right. numbers and you don't need to be weighing the baby every day and, and worrying about the day to day most of the time. So I usually advise against it, but it was helpful during the pandemic to be able to do that, especially to when people left the city and were right. around, you know, right. you can kind of have that check in, which was as, as as some people have said, those were unprecedented times. I've heard that term <laughs> used peri periodically just here and again. <laughs> and then what 
So, and then as they get a little bit older, like, you know, maybe not the first couple of weeks, let's say the first couple of months, mm-hmm. sort of same question. What, what are the common things that babies do that are weird, that freak parents out, but that are fine, that are normal? Mm-hmm. Sure. So I get, I mean, we talk about poop a lot in pediatrics, so <laughs> I'll start with poop. But I always tell people at the one month visit, you know, um, not to worry if the frequency of the poops goes down because at one month, parents start to think their baby's constipated because they're just not pooping as often as they were in the beginning. But that's totally normal. This is their gut getting used yeah, to life yeah, and whatever. Yeah. Their GI tract is literally getting longer. You know, they wind up, um, their GI tract is a little more mature and can kind of hold on to, you know, what they need to and just kind of work function, you know, a little better. So as long as the poop is soft when it comes out and not hard like rabbit balls pellets, then your baby is most likely not constipated, you know. So that's a common thing that comes up at one month um, of age. And then at two months is when they get the first set of vaccines, you know, so then we... That's a fun day. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of a lot of crying parents are that day. <laughs> but I always try to tell them, you don't remember your first set of shots. Or your baby won't either. It's okay. Um, but, you know, what to do. That's when we start talking about how to manage fevers because fevers then become very common, you know, in right. kids, although, you know, again, not now, maybe most people aren't getting them. But in general, um, fevers are, are something that um, we start, can talk about at that two month visit, because before the baby is two months and got the first set of shots, you know, like I said, before you call the doctor, if your baby has a fever, but at that two month visit, we expect that a fever might be a side effect of the shot. So we always go over the dosing because the bottle says, call your doctor. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> so we go over that. We always have a dosing chart on our website, too, because they always, you know, the dosing right. is always based on weight not by age, but they want you to check in. But and then, you know, going forward from two months, you know, you don't have to call your doctor in the middle of the night if it's just a fever. You know, you usually can give some Tylenol right. and see how the baby does and then check in, you know, the next day. Most of the time we do want to see them if they're that little, you know, for right. sure that next day, you know, but right. um, if it's just that, you know, people start, people get so worried about fevers, but, right. you know, I like to do a lot of reassurance that it's, you know, it's just a number, you know, there's no number of it that is really going to harm your baby it's your baby's you know responding to something and you know it's a healthy reaction right. and that's okay right again except maybe the first week or two of life exactly. that's in the first yeah. right in the first two months of life i would say that's right. you know, that's completely different you know right but then once that baby gets the first set of shots and we start to expect that a fever might happen or they might you know as a sign of the be- be- uh, beginning of a virus then you know right yeah right i was curious what your thoughts were because we have a lot of parents ask us about you know, classes. People oh. take classes when they're pregnant. And some of them are about the pregnancy mm-hmm. and the delivery. Mm-hmm. And some are about like newborns, for example, like CP, newborn CPR mm-hmm. or like various parenting or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you find them to be helpful? Are you sort of neutral on them? You think that some of them are like teaching parents bad things? Like what, what's your what's been your experience with these classes? Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's so many different things out there that, of course, you know, sometimes I, I, I haven't re- reviewed the content of all of them. And sometimes, you know, I, I don't know. But I think in general, I always think of it as like, learning to swim, right? You can read up all you want about it. You can take all the classes in the world, you know, but until you jump into the water, right. and do it, right. you're not going to really get, choke know a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> how to do it. But I mean, that being said, I think it's good to have that knowledge because when you are preparing for the baby and you have the time, you know, you can go through some of that, maybe, you know, CPR or maybe breastfeeding or newborn care or newborn sleep or something like that because you're not going to retain everything, right? And so you have to generally... We we all have to hear things a few times to really understand it and, and um, you know, actually be able to do it. So I think it's the same kind of thing that if you hear it one time, you know, in, in a class before, then maybe 
when you're in the woods or, you know, in the weeds and like need to know what to do, maybe then you're hearing it for the second time or you know exactly, you know, what book or place to go to um, and that could be helpful. Right. Okay. And then yeah. what, what about in terms of, you were saying the frequency of visits, what is the frequency of visits after that, that first visit? Uh, a few days after birth, because we, yeah. we actually didn't go. I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah, are. sure. So so it depends, of course, on all those the, the weight and the jaundice where we might say come back tomorrow if we're concerned, right. really concerned about either of those. But once the baby gets back up to birth weight at two weeks and the jaundice isn't a concern anymore either, then we so we always do a two week checkup usually, you know, um, and then we do a one month checkup um, and then we do a checkup at two months of age. Um, that's usually the first set of so like two days, two weeks, one month, two months, two days. Yeah. After two months, it becomes at two months at four months and at six months. And that um, is when you get the booster shots, the same kind of series of shots at two, four and six months. And then after that, um, usually there's a visit around nine months. And then um, it becomes about every three months after that for a little while through the first until the baby's about two years old. And then it becomes every six months. And then every year. That's a lot. It's a lot of visits. These are just the routine visits. These are just not include include the coughing, sneezing, fevers, constipation, all those visits. So exactly. Again, again, or a flu shot, maybe too, depending, you know. Exactly, which yeah. is why being close to the pediatrician important, is so helpful. You're, yeah, you're there. You're there a lot. Yeah, and then because you mentioned it before, I'm curious what has been your experience, at least in your practice in New York City. What is the general attitude of your patients about? vaccines is it something where they're all like lining up to get them or you're like wrestling them to the floor to try to convince them to do it or is it like somewhere in between most of our patients are very good and excited and want to get the vaccines it is something that comes up in prenatal visits where often they'll ask in a way that they want to make sure they're not coming to a place that doesn't vaccinate um, ah. children which i always love what's the code to hear. Qu- what's the code question i love to hear <laughs> yeah I, I'd like, what's I, your opinion on yeah. vaccines yeah. And, well yeah i could see in their face you know the re the rea- in the reaction that is a good reaction where it's like, you know, I, I am happy to know that they're on board with the vaccines. You right. know? And what what do you do with with parents who are not on board with them? Mm-hmm. How does that how does that work? I mean, obviously, you tell them what's recommended and mm-hmm. why and you go over with them. But what happens logistically when parents say, no, I'm out. I don't want to do it. Yeah. So every practice is a little bit different. You know, some practices are fine with that. You know, I'm personally am not fine with that because if you're not going to vaccinate, then I don't want to put my other patients at risk. Right. Um, and so I don't want when if you don't have any vaccines and then you have a fever, I don't want you coming into my office and putting my right. newborn babies at right. risk. Right. So, and, unless, of course, they can't be vaccinated for health reasons. Oh, of yeah, course. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But if you're just- Which is rare, but it happens. It's very rare. Yeah. yeah, it's rare. But yeah. So if somebody just completely chooses not to have, you know, any vaccines, right. I'll say maybe it's not a good fit. Do the schools even let them in without vaccines? No, no. no New York City, you no, have to be vaccinated, no. yeah, right? You have to be more common than people, you know, completely refusing vaccines. I feel like at least, you know, when, in what we see is, you know, people being a little hesitant, people having questions, you know, and I'll guide them to resources to, you know, read more about it or wanting to do some sort of alternate schedule, which I'm not a fan of but you know sometimes within reason you know i would work space with them out, yeah. yeah and i always say like there's no first of all there's no reason you know vaccines is a it's a debate in pop culture but not in medicine you know we right. don't have a debate about it and 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 they're very safe to give all together the way it's been studied and as 
a parent too, I actually find it to be nicer and better for the baby to just give the vaccines on the schedule versus when they want to draw it out and say, oh, come back in two weeks to do the next shot. And then the baby has a little fever, is a little fussy, has a sore leg and then gets better after two or three days. And then you come back in two weeks and do the next one. And then the same thing happens. And then you come back in two weeks and you do the next one. And I just think that that draws it out totally unnecessarily and causes more overall distress for the baby. And it's just not necessary. Yeah. And I find also, I mean, it, it, it's such an interesting concept. And listen, I get it. I'm a parent and everyone's got their own feelings about their kids and what they want to do. And, you know, God bless. And I think, though, that, you know, some of it is maybe just this there's a belief for whatever reason that they're they're not good. Or sometimes you can see that there's like this issue of control that you want to have more control over it. And all right, whatever. Like people do that. That's not the end of the world. But I think what people don't sometimes realize is even if it doesn't matter how the kid gets the vaccines or what schedule or if you spread them out. And even if they're okay with the idea that my kid's going to have a fever every two weeks instead of every two to three months, fine. But the problem is, I think people don't always realize that when the way medical care works, if you go to a practice that's busy and seeing a lot of kids every day and everyone in the office knows at this visit, we do this vaccines, it's not going to get missed, right? It's like, there's no way a kid's going to get through your office through the two-month checkup without getting the right vaccines because your front desk knows, your schedules know, your nurses know, you know, the person who mops the floors knows, every single person knows. And when you sort of go off schedule and mm-hmm. you do things in a weird way, sometimes things get missed. Mm-hmm. You know, what if what if the kid is sick of the day of that vaccine and you're not going to remember? It's like hard. And you don't want to, like, I always tell people, it's like, would you ever ask your you know quarterback to come in and start throwing lefty instead of righty? It's like, well, maybe they could do it, but why would you ever do that? They always do it righty. That's how they practice. That's how they play. That's how they're used to it. it that's how it's going to get done. That's how the play is designed. That's like that's where they look. And it's like asking your pediatrician to like do it lefty. Yeah, that's and a really I, good point. Yeah, yeah, I just find, I tell people that when they ask me like a delivery, I'm like, listen, I, I don't do it that way. Like, why would you ask me to do it the way I'm not comfortable doing it? Like, I, I might be fine with it. Like, it may go okay, but I've been doing it the same way for 12 years. You want me to now switch? Like, it's just weird. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think too, it's like, if you don't trust me that this is safe for your child, you know, then then maybe it's not a good relationship, right. you know, right. because um, you have to be able to trust that I'm not harming your child yeah you know otherwise then maybe you know yeah i shouldn't be your pediatrician if you think i'm trying to harm your child i'm not like i'm doing what's in the best interest right and I'm, you must be getting so much you must be getting just pounded with covid questions and mm. oh, COVID yes. vaccine and it just i mean you know it, it must be exciting yeah it's <laughs> it's hard i mean it's hard it's hard to navigate right. you know for any one particular person in family and then just you right. know over and over with and things change so frequently as right. you know that it's like it's just yeah it's been it's been interesting one of the fascinating things i found about covid is sort of unlike other viruses kids seem to do fine for the most part it's like remarkable it's like the it's it's not the opposite of what you would expect, but it's unusual because we're always worried about kids mm-hmm. you know, because they had less immune system and this and even newborns. And, and obviously there have been a couple of cases of very sick kids from COVID, but it seems to be safer than the flu at, at the age of the kids you're taking care of. I know. I'm so excited to find out why. You yeah. Know, I, there's <laughs> so many theories and so many thoughts as to like why this is. And I can't wait to find out the answer, you know. But and it's interesting, too, because maybe it'll shed light on, you know. So, for example, Kawasaki's disease, which right. is really common in pediatrics. And we've been seeing it for, you know, we see it forever. And, and you know, it's not it's similar, it seems like, in a way to the MISC that right. we're getting from COVID. Right. And so Kawasaki disease, we don't know exactly what causes it and, right. and also. But I'm thinking 
saying, well, maybe we'll find some, you know, right. a, like it'll shed some light on that and other things, you know, while we kind of learn more about uh COVID. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, but I mean, it's it must, really yeah. interesting. So, I mean, do you, have you had a lot of patients whose kids tested positive for COVID either at birth or after birth? Is that something that comes up a lot or just pretty rare? Yeah, no, not a lot. It definitely we've had some, but it's definitely not a lot. What do you what do you tell parents about colic? Oh, that was another one that our family we struggled with that. Oh, me too. <laughs> I I did a video on it. <laughs> um, colic is so a video. hard. This, this is did. what it sounds like for a baby video. to scream for five straight hours. <laughs> because I had a colicky baby. It is really, really hard. You know. Um, yeah. So basically, I you know kind of have a checklist to go through what the baby's you know to things you could try when the baby's right. crying. Right. Of course, you want to make sure the baby's well fed and and all that stuff. And you go through this checklist of of what you can do. But you know, if you truly have a colic baby it is so hard and i like to tell the parents a few things one is it will pass you yeah. know and just reassure them and it will pass um and that that's kind of the beauty of newborns and pediatrics in general you know is that babies change so fast so no matter what it is whether it's that like wonderful snuggly period where you're smelling them and you love it and it's wonderful or if it's this colicky period where you right. just don't know what to do you know no matter what it is it is transient and you will get through it and your baby will change so it will pass you know and just to you know find that support that you need and take care of yourself and i think this goes back to really trying yeah. to teach the new mom to take care of herself because you know it is okay to Put the baby in a safe place, a crib, a safe place, you know, make sure that there's, it's a safe environment. There's nothing around. It's a safe environment. Yeah. And then walk away and yeah. let that baby cry and do what you need to do. You can cry. You could take a yeah. deep breath. You can call your friend. You could put earplugs in. You can do a dance, listen to a song, you know, do something. And, you know, it's fine that your baby's crying and you need to take care of yourself, you know, and 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 support from other people is really important. And, um, you know, to be able to uh, I remember uh, so many times of, you know, when I had a colleague baby and my mom would show up at my you know door and I just would hand her the baby yeah. and say here <laughs> we out here yeah, yeah. <laughs> here you know but to be able to give um somebody else the you know the the baby for a little bit so that you can go for a walk and out you know do something yeah. it's really important and it's okay like it's okay it's yeah. not uh, you still love your baby you're still a great mom your baby loves you and take that break yeah that was definitely the best advice we got after you know months of this like i mean every night with one of our kids from like 7 p.m till yeah. the night it was just like scream time that like Every day. And then eventually, you know, John Larson's like, he's like, put her in the crib, close the door. Yeah. <laughs> we're, like, yeah. we're like, we're like, wait, are we inside? He's like, no. <laughs> you like put her on one side of yeah. the door. You're on the other side. And he goes, he goes, that's it. He goes, he goes, there's nothing wrong with her. He's yeah. Like, Do it. Just, and yeah. then, and actually she fell asleep. And actually yeah. after that, she was like sleep trained. But yeah. it's, it was, and it was so true. He's like, there's nothing wrong with her. She's not, in, you know, she's not being hurt. She's still, you know, if she's screaming, she's screaming when you're holding her. So just put her down. Yeah. Close the door. And, and I think that that's, a really good segue because the, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about is this idea of the role of the pediatrician in the care of the parents. And I'll I'll go specifically with the mother, even though it is the parents, but I'll talk with the yeah. mother because you know I you know do women's health. And you know, obviously we we as obstetricians, we take care of women during pregnancy and beyond. But the interesting thing is from the time they get discharged from the hospital, we typically don't see them till six weeks later. Sometimes we do. But usually not when you have no contact and they're seeing you mm -hmm. one, two, four, six, 12 times. And so in a certain sense, you're the doctor that they see in that postpartum period when so much can happen physically, emotionally, spiritually, 
family relationships. How do you view your role? Because you're obviously, you're the doctor for the child, for the baby, but you have this other person. Again, it's not always the mother, clearly, but we'll talk about her, who's coming in to see you. How do you view yourself as one of her providers potentially? Is it sort of like a direct role? Or are you just sort of like peripherally? Or there, are there things you formally screen for or informally? How do you how do you view that? I'm, I was always so curious about that. Yeah. One of the things I'm passionate about and I love to talk about is the fourth trimester. And that's right. really how I think of it, right? right. And so it's like that three months after a baby's, you know, born where the baby is learning how to live in life. But really, it's the mother is adjusting to this postpartum period. And it's right. just so it's such a special, unique time. And it's interesting how cultures around the world, I think we in the US do such a bad job of taking taking care of that fourth trimester, you know, mom as a yeah. culture, we don't support her as much. We expect a lot of her. We expect her to host family. You know, we expect yeah. all these things where other cultures have this like defined name for the period. It's like usually about a month or 40 days and they, you know, all kind of take care of her too, right. you know? So I think it's really important. I mean, so formally what we do, you know, we do depression screening. The mom has to fill that out at basically every visit in the, you know, in the first um, month and then at the two months and right. it, but that's four true. months I mean, as that's well. fantastic. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't yeah. stress how, how important that is because a lot of women have postpartum either like a clinical depression or something, let's say, you know, less severe than that. You know, people call it the blues or this or whatever, but some form of that. And they don't always know it's abnormal. Mm -hmm. They just think like this, I'm supposed to feel miserable all yeah. the time. And they say, oh, it's because I'm tired or because I'm hungry or because I, I, I'm in pain and they're not screened. So, and I don't know if I don't know if all pediatricians do that or not, but I, it's so important that you do that. And it's, it's, it's critical because you're seeing them and you can really intervene or lead them to someone who can help them yeah. early. So that's great. Yeah, I think most so do. Thank I you. mean, yeah, yeah. It's Amer <laughs> it's American Academy of Pediatrics recommends it. I mean, I think most do, you know. And we are, we're seeing them so much that we we know we we develop that relationship with them right. where we know, you know, um, you know, what to what to kind of ask for. And yeah, it's just it's so it's so important. Yeah. They, are there yeah, other they, things that yeah. you that you either have seen or look for or talk about, even whether it's formally or informally? That have, that comes up that you sort of give a heads up to them or to the OB or to somebody else. Hey, like this something needs to be addressed. Breastfeeding is something yeah. we do a lot of. I actually just got my IBCLC. Um, oh, and great. Yeah. And so it's something that me and one of my partners actually started doing during COVID was lactation yeah. consultants too, you know, in our office for our patients because that's such an important part right. of the beginning. And they couldn't and get someone to come to their home. And they couldn't get someone to yeah. come to their home. So we started to do it at that time. And it's really, you know, it's really helpful because that is um, such a struggle of the new mom physically, emotionally, you know, um, feeding her baby. And to be able to help her with that is really right is really great. It's so fascinating. I was just thinking about this. Everyone, you know, when we go through either sort of in, sort of in pop culture or even in medical school, everyone thinks like, oh, the people who go into pediatrics have to be good with kids. Well, no, they have to be good with parents, yeah. right? I mean, you, you could be horrible with kids. You could be terrible with kids, but if you have to be good with parents because that's really the relationship of the, you know, with the pediatrician until whatever it is, you know, like yeah. 10, 12, 13, you know, when the kids sort of start mm -hmm. you know, getting a relationship with the doctor on their own, that's, that's meaningful, not just acute. Mm -hmm. So over the first, you know, five to 10 years of life, that relationship is parent mm -hmm. or whoever, you know, whoever the caregiver is and the pediatrician. And so when people are looking for a pediatrician, you don't, if, if you think, oh, this person's going to be great with my kid, say, is this person great with me? Mm -hmm. Right. Because sometimes people who look like they're great with kids might annoy you, mm -hmm. you know, or something or vice versa. And so that's really the important thing. Is this someone who I can trust to talk to about concerns I have with my child 
or if I'm not doing well or whatever it is. And that's such an important point. I think people miss all the time. Yeah, I think yeah, they don't really think about it so right. much. But we really are, you know, d- directly talking to the parents all the time, you know. And I'm always checking in too about, you know, the the new mom about if she has seen her a mental health provider, if she's right. seen one before, and you know, and and doing all that. It's amazing. It's a, it's a special time. It's uh, you know, that that fourth trimester and it's a lot of change for the mom. That's the great. Is is there anything else that that just talking about the first three months in that fourth trimester that that you think parents should know about or stuff that you routinely cover that maybe we didn't go? We're certainly gonna have you back because I mean, I, I, <laughs> so as, fun. You know, childhood goes you know forever. Yeah, uh, I'm still a child and probably should be seeing my pediatrician, but you know there <laughs> are you know those who maybe called at 18. But and so we're gonna talk about all of that. But you know, is there anything else that you wanted to cover today? I mean, I think we got a lot of it, but yeah. I guess the one thing maybe I'd just like to say is like it's it's overwhelming, you know, when you're a new parent and um, people give a lot of unsolicited advice, you know, um, whether that <laughs> so be helpful. family or friends, you know, um, and also online, on social media, on Google, on whatever, you know, you just find so much stuff. A lot of times it's super conflicting, you know, and so I like to tell new parents, just pick one or two people that you trust mm-hmm. to listen to generally. It probably should be your pediatrician, maybe your mom, maybe your best friend who has a few kids or maybe not, maybe someone else who who knows. Pick a few people, probably not more than two or three. Listen to them, you know, and even take everything they say with a grain of salt here and there, you know, but listen to them as your guide and really just ignore everyone else and just say, okay, thanks and move on. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, that's great advice. Tracy, thank you so much for coming here. Oh, thanks for for having me. Talking. This is such important stuff. And I really appreciate a, you coming, B, all your helpful you know, advice and recommendations and information. And obviously, it's very clear that you're, you know, you're good at communication. You're good at explaining things. You're good at talking to. And I could see why parents would really like you as their pediatrician. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. And I'll share with you, too. I have a, a post... Uh, a planning guide oh. that your if your patients want yeah it's a, a it's uh to prepare for the fourth trimester while you're in the second or third trimester that's I awesome share it with you if you want thank yeah. you so much Yay. all right thank you for listening to the helpful woman podcast to learn more about our podcast please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com that's h e a l t h f u l w o m a n.com If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.